Welcome, my pretties. Please do come inside, grab a beer, and have a seat, because things are about to get spooky. Hello and welcome to The Spook Inn. I am your host, Saf, and this is the show where I drink beer and talk about horror movies. Today on the show, I'm drinking Revolution's Cafe Death and Spookin' with Freddy Krueger. All right, now I've got Cafe Death from Revolution Brewing here in front of me. It is a 14.8% ABV, 35 IBUs, which is Jesse Walsh, Freddy's 35th kill, maybe depending on how you count, on our Horror Geek IBU scale. Uh, This beer says... A weaponized quantity of freshly roasted whole bean coffee from Dark Matter Coffee imbues our Death's Tar barrel-aged imperial oatmeal stout with assertive coffee aromatics without overshadowing the base beer on the palate. Pair with rich food or enjoy on its own. Keep cold. Enjoy now. We mean it. And I'm enjoying it now. Uh, I don't know how old this is. It says filled on October 6, 2021. So it's just over a year old as I'm recording this. It is brewed in Chicago. It's part of the limited edition Deep Wood series. And on the can, it does have the... um, It has this skeleton figure in front and center with a... red flag and the star on it white star that's like part of the revolution logo Uh, we've had them on the before i know on the main feed as uh we did a lot of the uh hero series i can't remember what exactly what they're called hop hero or something like that anyways this is another one and it's gonna be a killer because 14.8 percent. i don't know if i've ever had a beer that high at least not one from a can, maybe like a barrel-aged special bo- specialty bomber, but this might actually murder me. Uh, this skeleton is holding a flag in one hand and like some sort of little, maybe a cup of joe in the other hand, a little mug of coffee, and he's got a crowd behind him silhouetted back in the distance. It's a pretty interesting can. I chose it for this episode because cafe uh, it, coffee, it's got the coffee which is very important in the Freddy Krueger movies because you need the coffee to keep you awake or else you'll die. Cafe death. Let's take a look at the beer, see what color we have. It was a super thick pour. It's incredibly black with just the lightest tan head uh, around the rim. Um, I think it's probably an alien xenomorph in space. I can't really see anything else this could be. It's so black. Maybe it's like Freddy in your nightmares in the dark i don't know with your eyes closed let's smell this bad boy i can already smell it from here but we'll get a little closer sniff definitely smell that alcohol that bourbon barrel is coming through nicely on the nose hints of chocolate not too much coffee maybe just like a slight you know that bitter coffee-ness on the slight hints of that on the nose but i'm ready to take a little sip and this is one you're going to want to sip. That almost 15% is going to 
knock me on my ass. By the end of this episode, I'm going to be slurring. It's got a nice soft mouthfeel. Very smooth, kind of molassesy. It's like very thick, tar-like, I said. I think they said in the description. Overall, it's not too bad. I was expecting harsher like uh, bourbon barrel flavor, that bur- alcohol burn, but that doesn't really come through. It's just like a like a dark chocolate flavor. And a little bit of alcohol on the back end, but it's not too uh, off-putting, I'll just say. Let me take a look at Untapped. There are 17,049 ratings, averaging 4.29 out of 5. Got a couple of friends here. A guy named Doug Edgar. He gave it a 2 and said, not for me at all. Did not like it. And Phil Hyatt, he said, may the 4th be with you. Must have been, yeah, he was drinking on May 4th, 2017, and he gave it a a 3.5. I know Dustin's had it, but he didn't check it in for whatever reason, so... I can't tell you what he thinks, but I know I saw him drink it once. Let me look at the global tab and see if anybody said anything that I need to shout out before I give you my review. Wow, like no comments at all. Lots of high scores. Victor Williams, last night's Behind the Beer Revolution Brewing, and he gave it a four and a half. That's a pretty high score. I don't know what Behind the Beer is. Must be some video series or something, podcast. I don't know. Wade Rockhold says, nice, balanced, B.A. death. Coffee kills the bite, but the boozy flavor is still there. Nice, mellow death. And he gave it a 4.75, almost a perfect score. See if I can find one more good one. All right, here this is a good one to end on. Joe Sodiroff. Man, this thing is crazy. It has such a long, lingering profile. And he gave it a four and a half. Now let me check mine in, and I'll tell you what I said. All right, I checked this bad boy in at a 4 out of 5. I said, well, this one aged nicely. I assume having never had it before. But since it's a year old, it does have... It's not overly alcohol-flavored and has pleasant chocolatey notes that are delicious in my mouth. This one's dangerous. It's very sweet. It goes down so smooth, and that alcohol is just not... Uh, strong enough flavor-wise to make you think that it's going to knock you out, but trust me, it will. What's with kids today, huh? No respect. Alright, now back to Nightmare on Elm Street talk. A Nightmare on Elm Street is a supernatural slasher horror media franchise consisting of nine films, a television series, novels, comic books, and various other media. The franchise began with the film A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984, written and directed by Wes Craven. The overall plot of the franchise centers around the fictional character of Fred, Freddy Krueger, the apparition of a former child killer who was burned alive by the vengeful parents of his victims, who returns from the grave to terrorize and kill the teenage residents of Springwood, Ohio, in their dreams. Craven returns to the franchise to co-script the second sequel, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Three Dream Warriors, and to write and direct New Nightmare from 1994. The films collectively have grossed $472 million at the box office worldwide. The original film was released in 1994, a series of sequels produced by the independent film company New Line Cinemas followed. New Line often attributes the growth of their company to the success of the Nightmare series, 
calling it the house that Freddy built. The film series as a whole was received mixed review. The film series as a whole has received mixed reviews by critics, but has been a financial success at the box office. When comparing the United States box office grosses of other American horror film series, A Nightmare on Elm Street is the third highest grossing series in adjusted U.S. dollars. In 1988, a television series was produced with Freddy as the host, kind of Crypt Keeper style. Uh, the pilot episode focused on the night Freddy was burned alive by the angry parents of the children he had killed. Although the rest of the series featured episodes with independent plots, 12 novels separate from the adaptations of the films in multiple comic book series were published featuring Freddy Krueger, as well as a crossover film featuring fellow horror icon Jason Voorhees from the Friday the 13th franchise, which I will be talking about later. A remake of the 1984 film was released in 2010, and now there seems to be a reboot in development, but we will see. Now let me try to explain the timeline of the film series before I get into my rankings, some stats, and a little bit of music later on. In part one, Nancy is stalked by Freddy in her dreams. She learns her parents were responsible for murdering him to protect the children because he had kidnapped and murdered 20-ish kids in the past. In the end, she is able to pull him out of her dream and kill him in the world, real world, but a final tag shows he is still stalking. And then, in part two, we learn that Nancy is now in the loony bin and a new family is living in her house. The new boy is having dreams of Freddy, then Freddy begins taking over his body and killing his friends. In the end, they are able to defeat Freddy by just thinking really hard about it, but a final tag teases he is still out there. Then in part three, Nancy is back, and she is a new intern therapist helping kids who dream about Freddy. We learn that if you dig up Freddy's grave and purify his bones, this will end the reign of terror in our nightmares. A new character, Kristen, is introduced, and she has the power to pull people into her dreams, which is helpful in fighting Freddy. And then in part four, Kristen, Kincaid, and Joey from part three have been released from the hospital, but Kristen is played by a new actor. Freddy is resurrected, and Alice becomes the new protagonist who defeats him in the end. Then in part five, we have Alice's return, and she is pregnant. This is the dream child. Freddy is somehow using the fetus' dreams to regain his powers and infect people's dreams. A young boy named Jacob shows up later in the, refi- in the film, revealing he is Alice's baby, from the future or just like a manifestation of him and they were together to defeat Freddy. Then in part six, which is Freddy's dead, the final nightmare, it is set 10 years from now in quotes. That's how it opens. Freddy has returned and killed nearly every child and teenager in the town of Springwood, Ohio. He's been busy. The residents at a shelter for troubled youth begin to be called to Elm street by Freddy because he needs some new victims. Doc discovers that Freddy's powers come from dream demons who continually revive him and that Freddy can be killed if you pull him into the real world, which in the end they do, and it's not super satisfying. 
that brings us to part seven, which is called Wes Craven's New Nightmare. This movie takes place in our reality where the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise exists. And we learn that by creating this franchise, Wes Craven has accidentally captured an ancient supernatural entity, which has now been freed after the film series has ended. So he has to go back and make one more film. And so there's like filming of a new Freddy happening and Robert England's playing it, but there's also a real Freddy. And uh, that entity entity is after Heather Langenkamp, who played Nancy in the first movie and in Dream Warriors and is like Freddy's ultimate enemy, I guess. And so he thinks he must defeat her and then they have a nice little fight. Then next comes Freddy versus Jason. In this film, Freddy uses Jason to terrorize the people of Elm Street because he thrives on fear and people have forgotten him, so he has no power to get into their dreams. But Jason just keeps killing everyone, leaving no victims behind for Freddy, which makes him mad, so they end up fighting and defeating each other, essentially. And then there's, like, innocent victims that are picking sides, essentially. Then finally, we, number nine, uh, uh, the ninth A Nightmare on Elm Street movie is the 2010 remake. It's much darker and spookier than the original. It's pretty boring remake. It's unoriginal, uh, and it focuses on being scary at the expense of actually having any fun. So I don't recommend it, but... uh. I should get into my rankings real quick. So number one on my list is the original, just because it's perfect. It's a great horror film that uh, started this whole franchise. Number two is part three, Dream Warriors from 1987. This one brings back Nancy, and then there's a lot of... Since she knows, like, Freddy's moves, she's able to, like, put a team together and really uh, fight back. Then number three on my list is New Nightmares from 1994. I just liked how meta this one is, and it it's a really was original at the time, having it take place in a world where these movies take place, and uh, it's just very interesting. One downside is they changed Freddy's makeup to make him look more sinister and give him, like, a new outfit. They just should have <laughs> kept it the same. Then number four is part four, The Dream Master, which picks up after Dream Warriors, and it's still good. Dream Warriors kind of changes the tone of the franchise, and Dream Master does a great job of continuing that. It just it's kind of lame that they recast the main girl, Patricia Arquette's not in it, and they killed off Nancy in the previous one, so it's unfortunate she can't come back, and they should have found a way to bring her back. She's great. The number five on my list is Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. This one is, it's trying to replicate the first one, but it's kind of just doing a poor job they don't advance the series at all and it's kind of a step back in a way whereas part three kind of picks up the ball and takes it in the correct direction number six on my list is freddy's dead the final nightmare that one's okay it's got some good moments but it starts to become real goofy and uh more cartoonish and the final uh, dispatching of freddy is kind of anticlimactic and not it not it's just a little bit of a letdown number seven on my list is part five the dream child the whole story in this one is kind of confusing with the the uh, unborn fetus showing up as a 
10-year-old boy and helping out and I don't know the kills are pretty gross I think this one has like the grossest use of practical effects and the story is just kind of dumb number eight uh, is Freddy versus Jason I just actually I didn't think it was fair to include it on the list because Jason is in it and he's my like he really does it would this would be number one on my list just by that fact so I didn't really it's kind of like I have to mention it, but it doesn't really fit on the list just for that fact. And then, like, even below that, I have Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake, just because that movie does not need to exist. It's kind of not part of the timeline. It's a new timeline, so I don't really even consider it a, a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, even though it is titled that. But there's that. Let me talk about a few uh, stats. I got the kill counts here. So before the first movie even starts... We learn that he's killed 20 children and then he was murdered by their parents. So there's 20 deaths that we know of, but they're not actually in the film. So they don't really count as a total in the kill counts. That's just a little backstory. So in the first movie, he kills four people. The second movie, he kills 12. Third movie, he kills eight. Fourth movie, he kills 16. So that's the most. In the fifth movie, there's only three. Sixth movie, there's six. Seventh movie, there's four. And in Freddy vs. Jason, he only kills four because Jason is killing everybody in that movie. And then in the remake, he kills six. So out of the nine movies, he's killed 63 individuals, averaging about seven per movie. All right, now we got to talk about the music. These are all going to be... Generally, i got a few tracks here for us, so let's get started. This is the title theme from A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 1. The taglines for this film are, If Nancy doesn't wake up screaming, she won't wake up at all. There's another one that says she is the only one who can stop it. If she fails, no one survives, which pretty bad if you ask me. Nothing about sleeping or nightmares in there. And then there's the kids on Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them in their dreams. Pretty wordy, but yeah, you get it. So, so far this music is pretty spooky and ominous. You don't really get too much do, 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 or whatever the Freddy theme is. It starts with it, but uh, it's under the recommendation of his agent, Charles Bernstein. I like this part of the song. Uh, So he met with Wes Craven and was hired to score this film. On working with Craven, he said, Here we go. Not, that's what I said. That's a great sound. Wes was easy to work with. He gave me a lot of freedom, but we could discuss ideas and approaches. In many ways, he was an ideal director to communicate with because he listened well and was open to all ideas. 
Bernstein used an electric score since the film was low budget. Bernstein did not return to score the music for the other films in the franchise, though Rennie Harlan briefly talked to him about scoring the fourth film. Other credits include Cujo and April Fool's Day. A lot of information I just threw out at you. But hopefully you enjoyed this song. Because we got to move on to part two. Taglines include the first name in terror returns, the man of your dreams is back, and someone is coming back to Elm Street. Kind of sounds like steam pipes, which is fitting for bo- the since Freddy's like boiler room is his headquarters. Slow, ominous build is interesting. This is the theme song for Freddy's Revenge. The film was composed by Christopher Young. The songs Have You Seen a Dream Walking, performed by Bing Crosby, plays over the end credits. Many of his compositions are for horror and thriller films, including Hellraiser, Species, Urban Legend, The Grudge, The Exorcism of, of Emily Rose. Drag Me to Hell, Sinister, Deliver Us from Evil, and The Pet Cemetery. I'm waiting for this to sound like a Freddy song, but I don't think it's going to. But I do have that Bing Crosby song. Something very strange and mystic happened to me. There's something about... Hearing this type of music on like an old gramophone record player, it's actually kind of terrifying. What a funny feeling, odd and yet so true. The Bioshock video games, for example, take place in uh, an area where you're kind of stuck in the 1940s and every once in a while you'll hear an old radio or a record player like this that just playing songs like this and it just adds to a creep vibe alright let's move on to Dream Warriors Taglines for this include Freddy's just around the corner If you'll think you'll get out alive You must be dreaming If you think you're ready for Freddy Think again Uh, 
so if you haven't figured it out yet, this is Dokken. They did the soundtrack for Dream Warriors. They actually did the whole soundtrack, I believe. It's amazing. I love this. I don't. I'm somehow nostalgic for this era of metal music, even though I wasn't alive or I was one year old when this movie came out. The single was a successful and a decision was made to include heavy metal songs on the soundtrack of the sequels. The band's manager, Cliff Bernstein, was acquainted with Wes Quaven <laughs> and was able to get a copy of the film script as reference for the lyrics. The record, they record the whole soundtrack and it is incredible just like this song. But this is where the franchise starts to take a turn into just dumb and fun instead of spooky and scary and creepy and crawly. This, you can just hear the tone change with the music. Alright, let's move on to part four and keep this party going. This is the theme song for Dream Master. Which taglines include, you shouldn't have buried me, I'm not dead. You know, because they did the thing with his bones in the previous movie. Uh, Are you ready for Freddy? That one's pretty good. Greetings from hell. Uh, that one's bad. It could be like anything. <laughs> uh, just when you thought it was safe to go back to bed. That one's pretty good because it's like... Jaws, I think, just when you th thought it was safe to go back in the water. Uh, terror Beyond Your Wildest Dreams, that's a good one too. And then finally, The Biggest Nightmare of Them All, which I mean, every sequel can basically say that. So for the open titles, we're back to that scary vibe. I like the tone this is setting. There are two different releases of the music featured in this film. On One is the music score composed by Craig Safin, which is stuff like this, which is very ominous and creepy and kooky, and I like it. While the other is, was a soundtrack album with mostly rock or pop-oriented songs by various artists. Let's listen to one of those. This one is, it says Tuesday Night Nightmare. I think Tuesday Night is actually in the movie. She's a, that's a lady actress and a musician apparently. And the song is called Nightmare. 
So this is in 1988. If you couldn't tell by this music, it's... Some of Safin's credits include The Last Starfighter, Mr. Wrong, Stand and Deliver, Fade to Black, Major Pain, Rima Williams' The Adventure Begins, and music to the TV series Cheers, for which he won numerous ASCAP awards. I do have one more song for this movie. And it's from the Fat Boys. It's Are You Ready for Freddy? And it plays over the closing credits. And this is kind of another transition for the series that becomes, uh, it seems like, more accepted by the black community. And there's rap music over the closing credits a lot of the time. And Fresh Prince did a Nightmare on Elm Street song, The Nightmare on My Street. But you gotta love the Fat Boys. And I think Freddy even raps. There he is. Incredible. This song is amazing. Uh, Look it up and listen to it. uh, Because I gotta move on. Here's the theme from The Dream Child, which is part five. Starts with church bells. I think in this one we learn that maybe, I think it's this one, where Freddy's mom was a nurse or a nun at a violent murderer criminal prison and she gets raped by a hundred inmates and Freddy's the child of those hundred inmates we got like this nice little kids choir type thing dream child so children singing Uh, I gotta say these taglines roll over Beethoven it's Freddy's fifth which I don't that's kind of silly then it's a boy Freddy delivers now Freddy's a daddy he's killing for two evil has spawned and Freddy has a son all of those are pretty dumb Freddy delivers I like pop that down a little bit I really enjoy this. Uh, this isn't one I watch a ton because it was low on my list, but this music is really good. I think just because I haven't gotten sick of it because I don't hear it a lot. Uh, Jay Ferguson is an American rock and pop musician known for his work with the band Spirit and JoJo Gunn and his 1978 solo hit, Thunder Island. His later career has been a composer of music and television programs and films. Many people know Ferguson who for composing the theme song for the American version of The Office. Interesting fact. 
<laughs> he also made this song. I got the closing credits theme too. Let's play that. Ooh, that's kind of trippy if you're wearing headphones. So the rap is back for the closing credits. This is Cool Modi, famous rapper from the late 80s and early 90s. The soundtrack album consists of 10 tracks. The first side consists of heavy metal and hard rock sound songs. And the second consists of pop songs. I think at this time, uh, people were just submitting songs to New Line because they were fans of the Freddy Krueger franchise. So they would just like make a rap about Freddy and then send it to New Line and be like, hey, can this be in the closing credits? It worked for the last couple of guys. They sold a million records. All right, now we got to get to the final nightmare. Freddy's dead. Taglines include, you think you know about dreams, you know nothing. They saved the best for last, and evil finally met its match. This is the theme song for the movie. And it is by the Goo Goo Dolls. Brian May, an Australian film composer and conductor, was a prominent figure during the Australian New Wave. He is perhaps best known for his score to Mad Max and Mad Max 2, but he also did the score for this movie. I didn't realize this was Google Dolls until recently, but I hear it now. Wake up. Then we have Iggy Pop doing the closing credits, which is interesting. This is when, when they're in their like more soft rock phase. Craven's new nightmare. Taglines include Miss Me? This time the terror doesn't stop at the screen. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. He's back and he's scarier than any witch. This time staying awake won't save you. I don't know what that witch one's about. I tried to look up if there was like a big witch movie that came out around this time, but I couldn't find anything. So a lot 
darker, a lot scarier. John Peter Robinson, an English composer, musician, and arranger known for his film and television scores. Credits include Wayne's World, Encino, Encino Man, and a buttload of Jackie Chan movies. Really good. I like it. Let's listen to the end credits and see if there's anything fun there. This is a really fun, kooky, creepy song. And it's got like the Freddy theme. It's what I call this part. But it's like more modern and dancey, like club vibes. It's really cool. Alright, let's go to Freddy vs. Jason real quick. That's just a little stinger at the beginning of the movie. It combines the Freddy theme with the Jason theme in a really effective way, but too bad the rest of the soundtrack's not like that. We're in the fucking new metal bullshit era of music that... Not my style of music at all. I really despise this, like, Hoobastank style of bullshit. Uh, Graham Reveal is a New Zealand musician, composer, who you will remember from Spookin' with Chucky as he composed Child's Play 2 and Bride of Chucky. The This artist is Digital Summer. I'm not even sure who that is. But the whole movie sounds like this, which is its biggest downfall. A lot of Papa Roach. A lot of, I don't know, Creed. I can't think of anything. System of a Down, probably. Maybe some Blunt Biscuit. 2003? Maybe that's too late. I don't know, let's go. to the remake reboot taglines include never sleep again that one's really good all you have to do is dream Mm. welcome to your new nightmare which new nightmare is already a name of the film earlier and he knows where you sleep that one's pretty good definitely creepier pretty good I think if it fits the movie pretty well anyways the score of this was composed by Steve Jabalonski 
and recorded by a 60-piece string ensemble of the Hollywood Studio Symphony. Jablonowski is an American film composer. He also does television and video games. He's best known for his musical scores in the Transformers films, and uh, frequent collaborators include directors Michael Bay and Peter Berg, and fellow composer Hans Zimmer, which I get the Hans, Hans Zimmer connection here. Also, you know, Michael Bay did the Transformers, but this movie is also a Platinum Dunes production, which is Michael Bay's studio, so there's that still that Michael Bay connection. I think a lot of these reboot, reboots at this time, so like Friday the 13th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this, and a couple of others, were all Platinum Dunes productions, so Michael Bay is kind of partially responsible for those reboots coming, but also those reboots never went anywhere. We didn't get sequels to really any of those, so uh, did he do a good job? Not really. But that's it for this episode, and I declare this meeting of Spookin' with Saf closed. Until next time, drink up and pleasant dreams, everyone. <laughs>